What's up, everybody? Welcome back once again to the Hi, My Name is Mark podcast. My name is Mark Hoppus, and we are in the deep valley today. We are deep in the valley of Los Angeles, and we are joined this afternoon by our good friend, producer, um, all-around great guy, John Feldman. James, say hi to John. Hi, John Feldman. Hi, James. Oh, oh that's a hi. enthusiastic <laughs> It's been a long time since we've done a podcast, and we're excited to have you, John. So thank you for taking the time today to do this with us. My pleasure, my friend. Uh, we are in your recording studio here far in the Deep Valley. Uh, how much shit do you take from people about how far in the valley your studio is? Dude, you need a passport, bro. Come on, <laughs> where's your passport to get out of there? The A1A, you're in Bakersfield, huh? How do you stay cool? Let's see, every fucking everything, yeah. Every band. Not every band, because most bands don't really understand that the, the Valley really is uh, the New Jersey of Los Angeles. They don't, <laughs> they, don't, they don't understand how it works, where we understand mm-hmm. as being L.A. Na- I, I'd say I'm, an, I'm a native enough. I've been here for 29 years mm-hmm. of my life. Wouldn't you say that's that counts. local? Yeah, you're, you're, I'm fucking you're, local. You're an Angelino at this point. I've lived Although everywhere. not technically, you're a Valley dude. Thanks, bro. <laughs> thanks thanks whoa, again for the whoa. fucking compliment. Starting oh, I, and also James is a Valley yeah. dude, too. But he hasn't been here. Well, I'm from Vermont, but I live in Valley Village. Actually, I don't live too far from Zach. Here's an interesting fact. Goldfinger played a show with Blink-182 in Vermont, a radio show. They played, it was us, it was us, Blink-182, and Ben Harper. It, it must was have been 1997. Before. Was that in that? It was like in a in a in a building. It's kind of like a. It was an open place in Burlington, I mean, Vermont. It, 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 was, it, it wasn't open. It was like a. It was like a full stage, a theater yeah. with the whole thing. Right. And I remember fucking watching, just watching Blink One Eighty Two, just going. Um, I think you played right before us, and I was mm-hmm. going, "Fuck, this sucks." Because you would at that point, you had already kind of surpassed like the radio play that we were. Oh, okay. We were kind of <laughs> neck and neck for a minute, and then you just fucking boom. But they they'd already booked the lineup. It was like. Blink and then Goldfinger and then Ben Harper, which is kind of a weird scenario. But that we was- played a radio show one time. It was Blink One Eighty Two and Blue Oyster Cult. Of course, you did. Yeah, we all did that. <laughs> those, those are the best shows. Uh, so we are in your studio. Who has recorded in this very studio? Blink One Eighty Two. Definitely not uh, Blue Oyster Cult. Has not been here yet. You okay. never know what Soon. the future may. We can a man can boy can dream. Uh, let's see. So Blink One Eighty Two recorded here. Uh, five seconds of summer recorded here. All time low recorded here. Sleeping with sirens recorded here. Oh, is there anybody new that we might be able to play some music from on the podcast? Yeah, we'll play. That we'll play be- a dead song. Dead aren't signed. They're my band. I found, but they're super metal. Is that too nar nar for you? Dead is the band that you're working with currently. Yeah, they're. Um, yeah, they're like uh, they're like you know Slipknot. If you know de- like a like a dead version, like if he, if if Slipknot died and opened the casket and all the fucking maggots took over their body, is what they sound like. Wow, uh, that must yeah. be really metal. You know, there's a connection here because to metal guys okay. for a while because, because James is actually an engineer that works with Corey. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, just out in Vegas a short while ago doing some Stone Sour demos Great. with Corey, who's the nicest guy. Like Mark Hoppus, who loves Meshuggah. What is Meshuggah? I don't even know what that means. South American, like like full math metal. Like seven oh. string guitars aren't heavy enough for that. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but you should. We we use the eight string guitar. My eight string guitar all over your record. Oh, you totally. Can't hear it. Yeah, just no. dropping into the chorus. It's so low. low the this guitar <laughs> is so metal. It doesn't even register in human hearing. It's like elephant communication. Yeah. Definitely. Make yourself feel so important. You're sick. Stitch up the open wound. Monkey 2, Monkey does the same as you, so fuck me! Fuck you,
Before we get really into it, we spent a lot of time in your studio recording the Blink album, eating donuts and drinking coffee. Are you now? You said you were off coffee for I the past few days. I recorded Disturbed here too, by the way. Oh, you nice. did. I did record Disturbed, disturbed here. Disturbed just bumped Blink from the top of the iTunes rock charts. Really? Yeah, for the uh, the their cover. They just did it on Hello, like, darkness, my old friend. There it is. That's, that's the one. one. I've come to. Yeah. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> I've come. Awesome. I listened to it the other day in, in Florida. We just, I just, it was like, I couldn't fucking sleep. I think I was texting you at like mm-hmm. four in the morning, like, what the fuck? Generally speaking, if it was a hit once, it can be a hit again. Yeah. That's, which has that's been a good kind of formula. The, the, <laughs> the, um, the ball and chain of 99 Red Balloons for my goddamn band. It's like, <laughs> it was just, we, we did a covers album and we recorded to it. And the, the label's like, it's so good. We're going to put it on your real record. And then it became a fucking hit. And it's like, now I can't write songs because we're doing a cover. Which is what I think of when I see a band do a cover. I go, they can't write their own music. They're, oh, really? They're doing a, they're doing a cover. <laughs> but you have hits. Goldfinger have hits. We do have hits, but then the last hit we had was a cover. Right. And you can't take it back. Can we play a Goldfinger song? And if we can, which song do you want to play? Uh, Dad. Play Dad. Because it's definitely like, you know, fast. Okay. Awesome. awesome. Dad, I hate to tell you. Sometimes I want to slap you in the face. But Dad... Gotta tell ya If you were gone I'd miss you from this place Don't go away again I just wanna be your friend And if I don't say this now I'm gonna be sorry Don't wanna make the same mistake again Dad Tell ya Sometimes I wanna walk right out the door
Okay, we're back. We just listened to Dad. Now, I want to talk about the important things. I want to talk about donuts. Mm. You are a donut aficionado. Our friend Dylan, who runs How Many Was Mark, is a donut aficionado. What is your favorite donut in Los Angeles? God, there's a shop right next door that's so good. We've eat, we ate there, right? We had a scronuts. couple of sessions. No, not scronuts. The okay. one right here that's like super, it's like the Korean-owned, like, super deep fried mm-hmm. late night but like soft and squishy and grease and the whole thing we we, we went there once like it's just called american donuts right okay. here on the corner right next to subway it's like the grossest ever i don't think they're the i don't know if they're the best the thing with scronuts though it's like they're they're so i mean besides having the greatest name ever like it's a combination can you say what a scronut is please the scronut is a combination of a donut and a scrotum it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what it is it's uh it's it's like these layers it's like a croissant it's like these layers of um, you know, kind of fried bread that have like butter in between that are that, that they, they put a glaze, a sugar glaze on it, and, and throw it in. Uh, you really know, a deep fryer. It's no, it's an epic thing. <laughs> it's so good. You can pull it apart, but the thing is, it's so thick and it's so heavy. You can't keep going on it. Like where you know we get the like a light, fluffy glazed donut. You can kind of like eat two or three or ten of them. At one point, at one point during the Blink recording, uh, someone brought in a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, and I think you ate seven of them. I did. So <laughs> when, you know what? You know what? <laughs> There's Dude, a little I, too I, much judgment coming out of you, Mark, right now. I know. You know I'm what? not judging. Here. I understand. I'm, I'm not judging so much as I am really impressed that somebody can eat seven donuts in a row and still function. <laughs> I can function great. I got, the, I got just a, a quick Krispy Kreme story because we were in Nashville. I was working in Nashville. We doing a songwriting session. Just, and there was nothing to eat. It was all just grease fried meat. And I was like, what am I going to eat? And there was a 24-hour donut store next to Oceanway Studios in Nashville that had that always hot sign, you know, the mm-hmm. orange sign that they have on. And we're coming back from the show in this van. The second the, the, the taxi van closed its door, like I could tell there was a fucking, the something was off. I could smell the alcohol and he starts, he's fucking floors it wrong side of the road. This Nashville totally drunk taxi driver wasted it's me and zach we're driving back i'm going fuck i'm going you're wasted he goes yup he's like drunk in nashville driving us he's got a transvestite in the front seat he's just randomly i'm like i'm like can you just drop us off at the next corner we're fine we'll walk the rest of the way and she turns around and goes my favorite band is depeche mode out of nowhere okay the weirdest fucking taxi ride ever and we get i just saw the krispy kreme i'm like i know we're close i just pull in there and he's like it's drive through it's on me krispy Creams on me. He goes up the fucking curb, goes down the side, and like takes out the um the the thing that you order, like hits it. The speaker just hit like hits it, so it like cracks. He goes, "We'll have two dozen originals or whatever." He orders, gets him in the car, and I like we escape. Zach and I like barely escape. It was the weirdest fucking thing ever. Revolved around Krispy Kreme. I ate ten that night though. (laughs) We got after all that. You're like, at least I got my donuts. I ate ten. The weirdest thing about that though is when you get the warm Krispy Kremes. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. Are you a fan? I I am. I. Except a Krispy Kreme donut at face value. Okay, because they're just they're a little different because they're a little smaller and a little lighter, so you can kind of house them mm-hmm. more than your average donut. But I feel like the the hot and ready it instantly adds on a ten point scale, like at least a point and a half. I'd say four points for me. But the thing is, like we were we started the session, the donuts were there, and the thing with Krispy Kreme, at least in my experience, like I eat one and then I'll be talking to someone, and next literally next thing you know is a dozen, there's two left. I had no <laughs> idea how it happened. It was like I just ate ten in a row. Uh, we brought donuts from uh, our favorite donut shop in LA. It's called uh, Donut Friend, and it's run actually, there's a there's a confluence here. Uh, Blink182 producer Mark Chombino. 
who produced Dude Ranch, runs Donut Friend. And so we brought donuts for you today. I love that snare sound on Damn It, Man. Yeah? Because I, because I, dude, I listened to it like 30 times in a row that day because we we're going to do the um, karaoke thing. Yeah. And I know the chorus because I fucking, everyone knows the chorus. Mm-hmm. I've heard the song a million times, but I didn't know all the words. And it's just so weird the way you wrote that song. It's it's all right to tell me what you think about me. It's like, it's so simple. I couldn't fucking get it. Um, it's nursery rhymes. Well, you, like when we first started working together, you're like, okay, you got to write. Uh, um, in, in this section, you should do one of your like nursery rhyme uh, melodies. Is that, well, do you think that's a strong point of Blink-182 is nursery rhyme melodies? Look, I don't know. You know Tom Wally. I mean, Tom Wally is one of my mentors that ran Warner Brothers for years and years and is really just a stand-up guy. And he's as musical as my wife is. You can't sing fucking Happy Birthday, right? Mm-hmm. So, but he knows great songs. He knows how to develop, develop artists. But he told me one day, he goes, all people want to hear, he goes, the wheels on the bus go round and round, <laughs> round and round. And his voice is just saying, round and round, the wheels on the bus go, you know, to make a point, he's saying uh-huh. the whole verse. That's what people want to hear is like just the simplest repeated over and over lyric and it was like and i never heard it like that plainly put like the people just want to hear simplicity people want to sing along yeah and and blink always writes the catchiest simple melody so how did we get in your world in your studio how did this all come about from your perspective you know we should play real quick. Not what? To, I will answer your question. Okay. But I have a voice memo of the of the Donuts Grown at Mark Hoppus song. I, oh, great. I still yeah, have yeah. the voice. We should play that. Yeah, this definitely. Is, this is a song that uh, I think you sent, what was it, like 2 o'clock in the morning? or It was either very late at night or very early in the morning that you got up and had a melody idea. And instead of actual uh, lyrics, you wrote a song about meeting Scronuts. Well, if you want to rewrite history, that's what happened. Okay. What happened was... <laughs> <laughs> I fucking ate like probably seven scronuts that day, and we had we kind of just discovered it. We just it was sort of a new discovery in my world, and we were excited about the scronuts, mm-hmm. right? And I just was insp- I was inspired by the scronuts to write an idea, and I was at that point I was like just I'm I was, sorry, just every time you say scronuts, it's just <laughs> and they're all women, they're all women that, that work at this place. It's the weirdest thing having to say could I have two scronuts. They don't even like bat an eyelash. They're just like <laughs> sure scronuts. But I was inspired by the scronut, and I was sending you like a thousand things. Like, do you like this? Is, could this be a cool guitar sound? I was sending mm-hmm. you just a million ideas of, of things, and I was just inspired by the scronut. Okay, and you. Well, I appreciate that. And here is Mark Hoppus, Scronuts Donuts. <laughs> Marcus Hoppus, Donuts, Scronuts. Ah. Marcus Hoppus, Donuts, Scronuts. Says I keep her up And that'll affect her Ten hours of sleep tonight When I do that They'll be fucking All right, so uh, back to it. How did we get into your studio? How did we get into your world on this album? From my perspective... It was just a, a, an alert message, and my apparently my Twitter alert messages are the same as my text messages. It came up as a text alert, and I just saw the little one box on Twitter, and uh, it was Travis Barker. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, what's up, bro? I'm like, oh, hi, how are you? I haven't talked to you in like 30 years, but what's up? <laughs> Thanks for hitting me on Twitter. He's like, what's your number? And he just like, you know, I fo- you know, I, we followed each other, DM'd me, and he said, you want to meet? 
for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And then we met at, Cro- at Crossroads, which I'd eaten at, you know, most of my life I've been vegan. So Crossroads is legendary. And it was like, fuck yes, I'll go meet Blaine. Cause you know, I follow you. I was always, I was always following you on, um, on Instagram since we did tidal waves with, um, all time low together, right. you know, which we didn't work together, but I mean, you recorded vocals on that with Ryan, you know, it's like, I knew, you know, we, we were kind of, and then we saw each other at the Palladium backstage Correct. and we were kind of learning the melodies. And I kind of, I don't know if I tried singing for a second, but I'm like, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't even be in this room. No, it was great. It was awesome. You're learning it or whatever. And then, so, so it was kind of like we saw each other and then I started following you because I met Gus that night. He's like, oh, what's up? And he was super sweet. Your manager, manager Gus, mm-hmm. like super nice guy. And I started following you on Instagram. Then I started, started seeing all the pictures of you guys writing. And I was like, just thinking, oh, it's cool. They're in the studio, whatever they're going. I'm sure it's going to be great. Fucking Skiba's legend. It's going to be amazing. You know, those were all thoughts that happened. But until I got that message, then I went to breakfast. Right. We had breakfast and it was like nobody in the rest. It was a full on like Soprano style. Like, <laughs> full on. He ordered the coffees. Like everyone's drinking black coffee. Yeah. I think you ordered the coffees, right? Uh, I don't remember exactly, but I remember everyone had coffees. Just coffee after coffee after coffee. You want another coffee? Yeah, I want another coffee. Yeah, but I hadn't, dude, I mean, to be totally honest, I had no idea. I had no expectations. I mean, Travis really just said, would you, do you want to meet with the guys? That was it. There was no backstory, nothing. Just like meet at my restaurant. But we'd been friends or we'd known each other since the early 90s uh, with Goldfinger and Blink-182. We kind of came up in the same scene. And in fact, we shared a booking agent in the very beginning. And Goldfinger, for better or for worse, got saddled with a lot of favors when Blink-182 was a baby band. And you very generously let us play in a bunch of your shows. Well, you're welcome. I had nothing to do with it, but you're welcome. I'll take all the credit. <laughs> was it Daryl Eaton? Who was it? No, it was uh, Rick Bondi. Rick Bondi, that's Yeah, right. the Tahoe Agency. Man, we were the worst. Uh, that, that snow core tour that we did together, it was like... Uh, our guitar player just at the time was he's just a really mean guy. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure he was really mean to you. He was mean to every band we ever toured with, and I apologize on his behalf. No, it was cool. We we love touring with you guys, and you've always been been really cool. And when uh, the interesting thing, and I've been doing a lot of press over the past few days about us working together and about the release of the single and everything else, and. Um, and they talk about when we met you and how you how you came in, in into the producing process. And we first met you, we were like, oh, do you want to listen to a couple songs that we wrote? And maybe we'll hop in the studio with you and write a song or two. And and we were thinking at the time, like, maybe you come in. And we'd already written, like, 30 songs for this record. And, and we were thinking, like, you would come in and we'd collaborate with you on a song or two. And then maybe you'd take the songs we'd written and say, this is a good song, this is a good song. And you came into our, uh, Travis's studio. I think it was that day, right? It wasn't the same day as we ate lunch. And you listened to everything, and you said, okay, cool. This is great, great. There's some really cool ideas here. Uh, Why don't we meet up tomorrow morning at my studio, and we'll see if we can work on something. And we came in the next day into this room, and we started writing, and we wrote, I think, two songs that day, one of which was Bored to Death. Um, I forget what the second one was. No, no, sorry, it was day three. Um, And then we came in the next day and wrote another song. And then we came in the next day and wrote two more songs. And it just started spiraling and and spinning up into this album. And we ended up not using any of the 30 songs that we had played you uh, in the studio that day and writing... just to stop you there, we've been. I know you've been saying that a lot, but it's not true. Well, that's it. Is true. It is Sorry true. Sorry, didn't get used. No, that's right. Sorry was the only one that we salvaged. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that'll probably be on the EP uh, or another thing that comes out in the future. But really, like, how was it for, for me personally? The the period starting the day that we came in in mid January until we really kind of finished tracking in I'd say mid March. Those two months was insane. I mean, we would get here so early in the morning and say late at night. How, what was that experience like for you as a producer? 
Well, I mean, it was like we were, God, it was off to the races. I mean, like I said, I didn't really have any expectations whatsoever. And I think I had like two developing projects booked. And I, and in the back of my mind, when we met at your studio, I, start, I was already started thinking, okay, I got to push this back, which I'm doing now. And, and, and Dead has so graciously allowed me to work on their record after we finished your record. And they totally understood, of course. But I mean, for me, it was just like, okay, one, you know, the next indicated action. What is the next step? I mean, it's like first, like reconnect. What's up, bro? High fives. It was great touring with you. <laughs> 30 years ago whatever right. it was you know what I mean it was, it was kind of like that and then we love co- and the first day you got here I remember I'm, I had my little coffee maker going in there and the, the first day I'm like I'm like do you want a coffee and you just said to me like you were so serious because you're a fucking funny guy and you're the first day you're like you never have to ask just bring it that's the first <laughs> thing you said to me I'm like this is my kind of guy right for on. sure because I mean every day it was just like and I have my two you know kind of you know Allie and Cody that are here helping out or whatever and they're, the coffee just kept going but it was like first thing we met second thing we listened to a bunch of songs then it was like I, you know I'm, the, I'm some new guy that you guys don't really know and I was sitting in Travis's studio going do I what do I do? Do I say, I know I can make these songs great. I know I can, I know we can beat these songs or just fucking tell them the truth. Right. And I just went with my God. I just, I just told him what, what I felt. And I'm like, if they want to work with me, cause I can't do, I can't pretend to be someone else mm-hmm. and then get you in here and then be like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> you find, like even with all your experience, I mean, you have a, this awesome catalog of bands and albums you've done. Was that like extra kind of intimidating saying that to these guys who've been like, you know, people that you've known for this We've long sold and- so many records. How are you going to tell us that what we do isn't absolutely genius? Are, do we intimidate you? With Travis's chops and Mark's hair, dude. How the fuck, how the fuck am I going to compete with I know Travis gets his chops called out and you just got your hair called out. Okay, great. But, yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, you know, I knew, I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know that the, the exact talent level. I mean, I, the songs all sounded great, but I make records. Mm-hmm. I know that you can, you know, I know what it looks like in the sausage factory. I have no idea how you guys may, may have made your records until I actually heard you and recorded you playing bass. I just didn't know. Yeah. No idea what kind of, you know, what I was up, up, up against, you know, but yeah, of course it was fucking, you know, I mean, Blink-182 are like a, a legendary legacy band that have, you know, changed the face of music in my opinion, you know, I mean, in the world's opinion, Thank you know, you. you're That's a fucking kind of you. headlining Reading Festival band. I mean, you know, and coming from my world of the greatest bands of like, the, like the Descendants, some of the greatest songwriters of all time, mm-hmm. influenced by the same, well, a lot of the same bands that I'm influenced, of course, you know, but I mean, the initial, initial crux of our conversations were really like, how can I help? And I had no idea what Matt Skiba was bringing to the project. I have no idea what the music sounded like. Mm-hmm. Five Seconds of Summer came and saw you play the Roxy. They were there. So they, they had kind of, you know, colored what I thought it was going to be by telling me what they thought and the Skiba chant and the whole thing. You know, I've met Tom a couple times. I had my opinions, but I really came to it going, how, how can I help? What can I bring as a, as a producer to help bring these guys to what they want, which the vision is, I guess, is kind of a comeback record, sort of, because Neighborhoods is how many years? Three years from Neighborhoods? Five years. Five years of Neighborhoods. Yeah. It's sort of like, we're still a relevant band. We still want to be, um, you know, on the radio. We still want to be competing with every band that you hear. And, and can I help? That was my initial thought. Yeah, and you did. For for me, from from being in Blink One Eighty Two and and having a chance now, several months out from the recording process, to look back, what you really brought to us is you kept saying, "What is Blink? What is Blink? What is the energy of Blink? What 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 does somebody who listened to Blink, if you were to, to distill that, what is that thing?" And you kept pushing us back to that and pushing us back to that. And uh, your energy in the studio was unlike anything that I've ever encountered before. To be 
to literally you would say something like, I'm going to go make a coffee. I'll be back in 15 minutes. You better have a kick-ass course when I walk back in the store. Like I've never been faced with that kind of uh, puzzle or challenge before. And, and I really like the album that we wrote. And you did it. I would come back from coffee and you'd have a fucking rad chorus. It would, it would, it would happen. But that's the thing is like there was just enough trust and just enough excitement and just there's just enough talent that it all kind of like worked. And, and you miss one of those ingredients where if you were like, I don't know, I mean, I fucking screamo or whatever mm-hmm. you may have colored your mind about who I am and what I do in the studio that you're just like, I just don't know. But you had just enough trust to go, OK, I'm going to try and write a kick-ass course <laughs> while he makes a quadruple espresso. Right. Uh, how... How, is it, how are you as a producer able to switch gears from a band like Five Seconds of Summer to Blink-182 to Dead to uh, a pop act or, or, or something like that? Is that a challenge for you? Because a, um, a lot of people find like, their comfort zone and they do like, this particular style of music, but you are, seem to feel comfortable branching out yeah. and tackling all different kinds of music. I just want to say, I will answer that. I just want to say, just on the Blink thing, I, I never told you this, but like I must have been... I don't know, 18 months ago, I had a dream that I had a dream that Travis called me and we went and met in some like San Diego house. Okay. You, me and Tom, we, we, we met and had like a meeting. You're like, we want you to produce our record. I, I've never had that happen ever wow. in my life. I, and I told my wife about it, like when I had it. So she was just freaking out when Travis hit me up. I've never had that happen. Like I had a dream that Travis fucking called me. I drove to San Diego and we met about it. And it was like this epic like pool. It was kind of like this Calabasas house, uh-huh. but it was like, it's, it's never happened. And so there's a lot of things that have kind of come together that have happened. I think outside of just like the idea, we need to get a record done. Yeah. You're the guy. Let's do it. No, it's meant to be. It was I, honestly, really weird. Honestly, and, and we've talked about this before, but you know, we worked with Jerry for so long, and, and after Jerry passed away, we had no trust in anybody to come and like sit in the studio with us and be able to get uh, performances out of, out of me or performances out of Travis or, or really focus us on things. And you, you're the only one that that has been in that position. Um, since Jerry passed away. And, and it's, it's a totally different energy. It's a totally different thing altogether. But you, I think on this record, you really brought us back to what Blink really is. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, thank you, man. And, and I, like I've told you, I met, I met Jerry numerous times back in the day. I'd be at some studio and I go, he, let, he would lend me his, um, he had this gold top, Les Paul. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, and he would lend, and he's like, hey, yeah, take it. This, this one will sound great on this thing. I was re- producing some like young band or whatever. He was yeah. so sweet. And I remember him at a, uh, Adrian from No Doubt's party, like I, you know, I was just, I literally cornered him in a room (laughs) and I said, what bus compressor do you use to make that kick drum and that snare drum pop the way your record's like, what, you know, what is it? And he was like, oh, it's the, the brand, you know, the, um, the Brett Allen, Brent Allen one, the, the, um, it's like that C1 unit. I don't have it anymore, but I'm like, I bought it the next day. I'm mm-hmm. like, I got to use that. Like that, whatever his sound was, I'm like, I have to have it. You know, he was the best, the best. The engineer, one of the engineers on this record is Zach, who uh, was always behind the board. And, and, and we've been talking about how much time we spend in the studio. And I would show up at like eight o'clock in the morning, maybe nine o'clock in the morning. Zach would show up at nine in the morning. You would show up at nine in the morning. We would work all through the day, all through the day, all through the late afternoon. In the evening, we would have dinner sometimes. And, and like I would leave at maybe nine, eight or nine o'clock at night. And Travis will have shown up at like 11 o'clock in the morning and then he's going and then he works until maybe midnight, two o'clock in the morning. So Zach and you've been working since 
8. It's now 2 o'clock in the morning, and then Travis would leave, and maybe you would go to bed, but Zach would stay up until like 4 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning uh, editing. How, how hard do you drive your engineers? <laughs> and why, why do you have no mercy on them? <laughs> Alan Smart, that's the compressor, by the way. Okay, Fucking Alan, Alan Smart. Smart. Just grab, <laughs> make, make sure I get that one right, because that was that one. Um, I don't know, man. You know, the first five years when I learned how to engineer records, when I was in the studio and like, you know, when you know, I was a kid, I was like 20, you know, mid, late 20s, like learning how to like, how do you do this? Because I hated, I just hated working with the producers I worked with back in the early days. It was like, I was kind of forced to kind of be in there. It was like, whatever. Like, these are the people that were part of the deal that we signed. I signed a terrible record deal when Goldfinger first got signed. And um, even my metal band, it was like, it was just like a bad experience. And I wanted it to be different. I wanted to learn so I could do it myself to help other bands. And so back then, I mean, it's like, I used to edit and just cut everything. I used to tune every vocal. I used to like, you know, move every mic millimeter by millimeter around the cone, figure out, like just I audition everything for five years. Every record I made, I just did everything. I was complete one, all in one package and I did it all. And the older I get, it's just kind of like how I want to work with like-minded people that have the same drive and the same goals that I do, you know? And I met Zach and Matt and, you know, I've been through, I don't know, probably like 12 uh, engineers in my career as a producer. And a lot of them have, bailed because they're like fuck this man it's too much goddamn work right like thinking they're gonna come in here and like eat scronuts and drink espresso with the band and just chill out and like you know whatever record vocals for an hour and then go home and or go out to some club it's just not the reality of how you gotta make records so like the budgets are so small now you've gotta have an album done in like three weeks kinda a lot of times mm -hmm. with budgets we deal with and so like it's my job now to oversee the whole thing take the, the, the band's vision like your vision how do we keep Blink authentic keep it right steer the ship and be able to like help with melodies help with lyrics if i'm in here for eight hours with my ear against the cone on a guitar turned to 11 how much ability am i really going to have to focus on the lyric and focus on the melody you know i can't i gotta have help right especially on a level like i mean making a blink record has to be treated like a blink record and so i i, I was way more hands-on than i've been in, in a long time on your record i mean a lot of times i don't track the bass guitar because i want to focus on the vocals on the drums and on the writing process mm -hmm. but with you you're fucking the best bass player probably you know ever in the and as far as i'm it's concerned true. it's true yeah, I, I mean <laughs> go but, on i mean you joke i know whatever because you're a humble guy and it's it's great but you really are man i mean you, you have a way of playing that is unlike any uh, anyone else oh thanks it, it is you know i mean yeah i would love to see fucking you and Getty Lee in a bass off one day just like fucking slapping up anyway <laughs> but you're great but it was, it was a pleasure it was a pleasure to do and, and to be honest like I feel like because we spent the time we spent tracking the, the record the way we did it you know which ultimately Travis kind of defined the production with a lot of his intricate you know loops and parts that he had done mm -hmm. that was already done so by the time I came to doing bass along to the drums it was kind of like easy and there wasn't you guys have been you, you've made how many albums uh, I don't know, many, five, five yeah. albums together, six five, albums together. Whatever. Yeah. A lot, enough albums where you know how to make a record. You've toured enough. Like the editing process wasn't, wasn't that brutal. I mean, the brutal part here was we had so many songs mm -hmm. that I, I wanted Zach to do rough mixes of all 28. That was where he was kind of like, okay, how do we get all the vocals and make the mixes sound good? That was, I think, where he had the most momentum. It wasn't editing. Right. He's Except a hard worker, though. Parts. What's that? Except for the bass parts. Yeah, the bass parts are, speaking of making a sausage. Uh, so to get back to it, how do you as a producer switch from doing all these different styles of music from Five Seconds of Summer to uh, Blink-182 to... Blackfield Brides to, yeah, to yeah. from metal to pop to yeah. all of it. Um, 
I mean, the, the, the pop world is the, is the most challenging because you've typically, if you're working on a band that's on that kind of level where you're, you know, you're whatever, you're, you're doing stadiums and you're on the radio and you've got like the best of the best songwriters that all want to be part of the process and everyone just trying to jockey to get like, take your, take your job, basically take your position. It's just like the politics of that. That's the hardest part. The politics of the pop world is the most challenging part. It's not really about the production. It's sort of like, how do I, how do I bring the best material I can to the band, keep the band happy, yet have the label feel like they're getting like a single or whatever that they think they're, whatever they need for radio? That's the hardest part with the, with the pop stuff. I mean, metal stuff is like, is usually pretty, um, I mean, if, if you're working with a metal band, they know when you're taking it, to, they, they, they're, they're, they have that, um, the barometer, that, that sort of like credibility barometer is like usually on like 12 when it comes to metal bands. So as soon as like the melody just changes one too many notes to that, mm-hmm. you know, if I change, if I, if I want to just bring that one major chord into the chorus, they're like, no, we can't, you know, <laughs> they, you know they, they know when it's like not, not metal. And, and I usually use, you know, I don't want to work with a metal band that's not you know doesn't come from that world and understand the scene more than me Mm because ultimately i i mean i love i love fucking vulgar display of power i love metallica i mean and and i love slipknot but those bands are kind of on the poppier end of what metal really is i mean for me it's like you know it's the beatles the buzzcocks and the the descendants really like from from my music but i do have a, a metal side so i want my my bands that i work with to say that's going too far and I trust them. And so a lot of developing bands, like I, I switched my hat into, okay, what was it like for me when I started my band, you know, and how do I help actually become a member of the band? So a lot of bands I develop or find early, like the used, for example, like the used were, it was unlike anything I'd ever ex- experienced. I know Poison the Well existed. I know Glassjaw existed, but no one really took what Refused had done with New Noise and put Michael Jackson with it, which is exactly what the used did. Mm-hmm. So I knew when I found them that there was something really unique and in, in, at least in my experience making that record I became part of the band and it was like we were all together guitars in hands doing whatever like pen to paper lyrics and I'm and I'm guiding the whole process where um, you know a band like Andy Black has a really like a really good sense of who he is and he you know doesn't necessarily want that kind of guidance and it's my job to kind of say all right, artist, what can I bring to you? I, I, I don't want a writer. I, I only want a writer or I, I only want you to get a good kick drum sound. Mm-hmm. And that's my job. Okay, so every, every artist is different. Touring in a band, to be honest, is the, that's that's been my greatest asset as is, is becoming a producer. I haven't really worked with any other producers that have been really in a band. I toured for t- almost twenty years, and you know, having that life experience of knowing what's going to react and knowing what gets the crowd to jump, you know, whatever, you know, being able to play the song and know what kind of reaction you're going to get, that has helped exponentially as a as a producer. When did you kind of make that transition from like going to start producing as like that's going to be my thing as opposed to straight up being in the band touring et cetera et cetera? Um, it was the it was Fireside Bowl in Chicago. It was this punk rock bowling alley that we played, and this, this this young pop punk band show off opened for us, and it was and it really came from a place of. I mean, when my metal band, the Electric Love Hogs, were signed, like we got this Akai 12 track, and it was like this. I um, used beta cassette tape, so I had to clean the heads, I had to, you know, whatever. I had to learn how to do, you know, I had to learn what, you know, what does 12K even mean, you know what I mean? I have no idea, and I just kind of sat every night and learned how to do it. And so when they gave me their cassette, show up, gave me their cassette, I was like, God, it was like recording a four track, and it was just like, it was just so terrible. You couldn't hear fucking any vocals. It was just like all hi hat. It was like the hi hat mix, you know what I mean? And um, I knew, I, I just knew I could help them. That was it. I just knew it could help him. I was like, I was like, I'm going to be, 
you know, I was still like, I'm going to be a rock star. I, I'm in a band. This is what I moved to LA for, to be in a band. That was like my dream. So I didn't even think about like producing. I was just like, I'm just going to help them on a week off because like, they're sweet kids. You know what I mean? They're really young, like 16 year old kids. And so I flew them to LA and I, and I made it a much better sounding demo. And then I got them a record deal and it was just like, holy shit. It was really easy. It was just <laughs> like, this is great. And that became like, then all of a sudden, like every show, I was actually watching the opening bands. I'm thinking, can I help them? Can I help them? How many bands have you broken? Have you taken from baby band status to successful band? Um, well, there's you know there's there's levels. I mean, because because I mean they used they used you know they, they never you know they never became Blink One Eighty Two. Uh, but they really shaped the sound of alternative radio. I mean, Absolutely, they, you know they they changed the whole dynamic of what. I mean, Skrillex. I don't. I don't think. I mean, I talked to Sonny so many times of how influential Bert was to Sonny. You know, when he was in from first to last, and how he what he's taken and made a career out of. I mean, it's it's the the tentacles of what the used have done is. I don't even know if I can put a quantify it. You know, and so it's huge. It's huge. But but I mean, the used never like you know headline staple center. But yet they changed the shape of music. Real big fish certainly did the same thing mm-hmm. i found them from an you know I, I, they i watched them open for the skeletons they were my homies at the barn in riverside and i'm just like and they had the head sellout written already and i'm like holy fuck that is and i was a kid i'm like but i knew that was a hit song i knew it and i took them from nothing i broke them that were they were the first band that i really like discovered signed broke you know um the same thing with the used and the story of the year kind of followed you know right afterwards um and blackfield brides existed but i mean i really I mean, there's been a lot of bands that I've been able to take to the next level. I mean, and I, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm taking the credit because that's ridiculous because everyone has a part. Right. Like, you've got to do the press. You've got to go on tour. You could just say, fuck it and go smoke a bunch of crack and lose your voice. And then the record we did is going to be for nothing. It won't, no one will ever hear it. I like that option. <laughs> <laughs> option one, smoke a lot of crack. You know what I mean? So we've all, we're all a part of, but I feel like what I, what I do to help kind of grow a band from either nothing or from a starting point, like, you know, Black Veil, I mean, taking, bringing them to in the end and the concept record we met, I mean, it was like from clubs to arenas in England, that mm-hmm. record. And same thing with uh, Future Hearts. It's like they were beyond, I mean, all time lower beyond clubs, but we, we took them to arenas on Future Hearts. I mean, it really watching that grow. Um, I don't know. There's probably like, 10 i mean foxy shazam were i don't know if you ever if you ever liked them but we definitely like grew them but they weren't meant to really go beyond you know what it, uh what it was but i don't know i mean is that a, is that a good enough answer yeah that's a great answer i, I think that i think that's a tremendous answer i'm not impressed <laughs> where's the fucking donuts you promised me what uh, it's almost there the, the donut is the carrot at the end of the stick <laughs> Uh, if you can get through this interview, keeping you can me have locked a in this chair. <laughs> yeah. right now, they've duct taped me the chair. By the way, if you can. Final question: What is the one experience from the Blink recording that you were going to take with you? What is what is, that, that you will not not necessarily from a professional standpoint, but like what is a standout moment from our record that that really sticks with you? Oh man, okay. You every day remembering some shit from the night before, like, and you would just say, "Hey man, how was your date night with Amy last night?" Oh, cool. No fucking bands ever do that. Really? It's always instant work. It's not like on purpose or they're trying to be like not personable. Right. But it was just kind of like most bands come here and they're like, okay, what's, you know, what's on the agenda? And then it's all, it's called kind of work. Like you would, 
And it really changed it. I mean, beyond just like my, you know, my work ethic, I feel like I've become a better producer after working with you. Thank you for that. You're but welcome. just as a human, like the idea that like we aren't just here to quantify some music and make product. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What do they call it now? Content. Yeah. We're not here just to do content. We're actually here to like have a, a human life experience. And I have taken that into my regular life. And it's like in relationships that would typically be like, okay, bro, because I'm, you know, we're all busy, mm -hmm. you know, but I've actually been like, okay, thinking about like what's going on and, and how, how, like, how, how are you? How was your date with your wife last night? I remember the <laughs> first time I asked a friend of mine, how was your date? You know, it's really, it's been, it's been really great because you're like a, a normal human that have had, you've already had a life and you're a grown adult like I am. A lot of times I don't work with like adults. I work with kids that are just like overly excited and ADD and just like, wow, I've got these dreams. How are you going to make it for me? You know, and with you, it's just like, whatever. Well, I think a testament to that is that all of us are friends now. I mean, you and I text every day. We're, we hang out socially. We, we uh, go and get food together. It's, it's been a really cool process the whole way through. I think that, and honestly, I think that all of that, all of, and this is really getting esoteric or whatever, but the energy that everybody brought, engineers, uh, studio assistants, you and everybody who was involved in this project really comes through on the record. The immediacy of writing stuff, uh, of having, write me a chorus while I go make a coffee or okay let's write two songs today or we'd write one song and I'd be like okay cool it'd be like three o'clock in the afternoon all right well I, I so what time you want to start tomorrow and you're like no 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 we're gonna write another song right now we're gonna start one from scratch what do you have like I think that all of that really glued this whole project together and I think it comes through on the record is that overstating it do you think no I think that's that's totally fair and I think that we we pushed each other because I mean there's part I mean I'm 48 so it's not like you know when it's like 10 at night and I'm like okay let's see I'm, I'm almost testing myself uh -huh. let's write another one in the back of my mind going he'll never say yes <laughs> and they're like alright cool I'm like oh fuck how many how, how late did you end up staying when you, when you tried to do that with Travis how late did you end up staying Travis Travis never quits he fucking never ever he will he will always win the stay up late contest okay. every fucking time it's like and I, the beginning of the process I'm like dude I will crush you because you've <laughs> got to actually play the drum parts yeah. I'm just sitting in there pushing two buttons command space bar that's all I'm really doing in mm -hmm. there and he's having to fucking just do every and I'm like and I've got all these ideas like do this you know 30 second note on there, whatever and he does everything and just like makes it his own and then creates these beats and he keeps going and going and going and after like seven hours of it I'm like okay He's got to be done. It's like, nope. Just keeps going until like three in the morning. And I'm like, I like taking my kids to school. <laughs> I'm like, I got to get up in two and a half hours, dude. And I always tap out every time. He's, he's like a very unique human, which I'm sure you know. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's no better drummer. I've, I've never worked with a better drummer. And, I, and, and after working with him, I can't, I can't remember seeing video of a better drummer than him. And he just doesn't. He's so consistently perfect and dynamically solid. It's just, it's just not like any other drummer I've ever worked with. No, he's, he's uh, an artist unlike any that I've ever worked with, for sure. Yeah, yeah. All, All right. right, should we eat some donuts now? I would love to eat a donut with you, my friend. All right, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Anything else you want to say before we sign off? I don't know why Rabbit Hole keeps coming in my mind. I think, I think that song, because I, I mean, in the end, at least by the end of the record, I, I wanted to say... I kept saying rabbit holes. Whenever Travis would say, what's your favorite song? I'm like, rabbit hole, that's my favorite song, my favorite song. And Amy's like, that's the first single. That's my wife who doesn't, you know, none of the non-musicians. She's like, that's the first single. Rabbit hole. Rabbit hole. You know, because it was just like, it's so simple, 
and it's so blank. And then when Travis turned around the snare drum to be on the one yeah. in the chorus, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, and that just was all the icing I needed. I'm like, that's the one, you know what I mean? Because in so many ways, it was like, all I really had was like a concept this one morning. We were talking and I was like, because you know how there's one thought can just drag you down all of a sudden. It's never going to work out. Kids are going to be fucking whatever. We're homeless. Like this weird, random nothingness makes no sense thoughts. And I'm not going down the rabbit hole. We were just talking about it one day. Yeah. And you're like, but that's the Blink logo. And then the whole thing, it just kind of like... It was so special how that song came together because it, you know, you kind of wrote all these words and then the music and he turned around the beat. It just worked. It was so great yeah. for me, that, that one song. That's the song. That's the one for you? I think so. I mean, is it the best song on the record? Probably not, but I can't wait to hear it live. Yeah, we That can't one wait to and play Cynical, it. right, are going to yeah. be like all timers. And then the idea of you, like, I, don't, I forget, yeah, you had built this pool already you know, it was written, it was done, but it was like, we laughed for how long? Like, fucking probably like all day that day, we yeah. were laughing, but your version was like all these seventh chords and jazz, so these <laughs> jazz mean, in, chords. In reality, built this pool is probably been, had like the longest gestation period of any song. Yeah. Because Mark's been fucking around with that, I mean, at least... Five years. Five years. Uh, you know what was funny enough is uh, uh, I was I was logging into Twitter the other day uh, or I don't know one social media or Facebook or whatever and I guess that when I had my TV show Hoppus on Music it was me and Amy Schumer we did this one segment and I picked up a guitar and I played Built This Pool and they're like oh this song's been around for at least six years or whatever it was because that because I did Why it on Amy TV. Schumer? Uh, she was my co-host on the TV show. The I had comedian. a TV show. Yeah, comedian Amy Schumer. It was like really right before she it was right. blew up. What's that? I just watched her comedy special on a flight back from Yeah, um, this was like five years ago when I, well, before I moved to London, I started a TV show on Fuse called, at that time it was called A Different Spin with Mark Hoppus, and we wanted to cast a female co-host, and we tested all these people, and Amy Schumer came in, and it was immediate with her. She was so smart, so funny. Uh, so sharp uh, and so good that she was co-host and, and and she left and right after that she blew up into this giant huge A-list celebrity star and I couldn't be happier for her she's oh, so talented yeah. and rad well thank you very much John let's eat some donuts what do you got? so Donut Friend actually has a donut called the Bacon 182 and it's not real bacon I know you're vegetarian uh, so this is the Bacon 182 so why don't you try that one okay that's I'm our right namesake here. right here? yes all right, and we will be back uh, probably in like six months or a year with the next podcast. So we'll see you then. <laughs> Bye-bye.